Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. Oh man, who's excited to be in, in church today? Yeah? Come on, let's get excited. We're, this is a good place to be. I know so often, so often it's, it's like, you know, we come to church and I, I grew up in, in a great church. My heart was the issue, but I just dreaded it. Like my mom, I, I grew up, I, I work with teenagers now and, and I, they tell me like, yeah, you know, we just didn't decide to come to church today. I don't understand. That's like a different language to me. My mother was like a strong woman and she never like, she just didn't give me a choice. It was like, you are coming to church. No, I don't feel like it. I'm not. sorry, what did you say? Oh yeah, mom, I'll be in the car. Like it just wasn't a choice. So, but, but I just, it's been so cool to see God move so passionately and so, and so real in this church that I'm just, I'm excited to be here on Sundays. It's like, I'm, you might be able to tell, I'm just like jittery that it's just like so exciting to be here. I did want to thank you guys before I jump into our message for all of those who have, who have asked us about our new baby, Olive Rose and my wife and all your cares and all your prayers um, and the food. Thank you for the food. Appreciate that. Um, it has been a real blessing. One of the things that we were searching for when, when we were kind of going through transition, we were really looking for a house where our family um, could come and experience God. Um, and it's just so great to watch even my kids just be able to make noise and dance around. And we want you to know that if your kids, if your kids come here and they make noise um, and they dance around and they get excited and they're kids, that's okay. They're, they're welcome here. I know that sometimes you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm the worst parent ever. Um, no, you're, you are a parent. <laughs> um, and you belong here. And please don't let the lie of the devil ever stop you from bringing your kids into the house of God to experience God moving just because they might yell or make noise. And I, I, I mean, if they're in church when I'm preaching, I may totally get sidetracked if they yell out, but that's just me growing up with with some serious concentration issues. But um, they're still welcome and I love it. Um, but I do thank you for accepting our family and, and all of that. And I, I want to show you a picture of our new, our family. So, well, sorry, my wife wouldn't let me take a picture of her. She's obviously part of this family as well. Um, as you can see in my kids, she looks exactly, they look exactly like her. So the oldest is Eloise. Um, she is just so sweet. She is... Uh, Sugar and spice, although this week I said she is sugar and ice, but then my wife corrected me. Um, she's sweetness. Then my, my younger or middle child now is Adelaide. She's two. Some of you know her. She is like fire and ice. She's, she's just unbelievable. And then Rose, uh, uh, Rosie, our olive rose, she's sweet. Um, she's doing great. Mom is doing great. Baby's doing great. Um, she's gained three pounds in three weeks, so she's doing awesome. We thank you for all your prayers. Our family is making it through the transition, and uh, we're doing great. And mom is at church today, which I didn't expect, so we're excited to do that. So, so let's, uh, let's go ahead and just jump into the Word of God today. Um, and so if you've missed the last two weeks 
Um, you've missed some really good messages. Pastor Andrew has unpacked some truth for us. And so I recommend that if you've missed it, go, on, go online and catch up. Do we have a podcast? Yeah, and our podcast and check out those last two weeks because they have been phenomenal. And if you're worried that you've missed a lot and you're, you're so far behind in your reading, you're not. Andrew only went a verse and a half. <laughs> so, so don't, you're good. Um, but, but I did want you to know that I wanted to give you some, some tips on, on how we can grow together as a church because we're going through the book of Colossians. We're going to go verse by verse, very slowly. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and so it's, it's going to be great for us. But I want us just not to just focus on coming Sundays and hearing verses from a particular book, but actually on a weekly basis, daily basis, let's be reading the scriptures together. And so I wanted to give us a couple, a couple helpful hints on how we can do that better. Did you know that the book of Colossians has 95 verses in it? 95 verses in it. And so if you read three verses a day, you can do that in just over a month. So we're in good. We're, and if you just pick up today, you're not far behind. You're a verse and a half into it and then another half and a verse. And you're at your first day. And 32 days later, we'll be finished the book. Or maybe you're just a real go-getter. You can know that the book itself, you can read it in 16 minutes. That's the average. Slow readers, fast readers, somewhere in the middle, 16 minutes, you can read the whole book. So really, I mean, sometimes when I look at some of this stuff, I realize that the, I don't really have excuses not to be in my, in my Bible every day, right? And one thing we do want to do in this church, and Mountain Park is rooted and built on, is that we believe in the power of God's Word. Not as just a good history book, not as just another good book or its lessons, its wisdom. No, no, no. It is God's truth. And if we believe it's God's truth, why would we not be in it every day? And so we can read it. It takes 16 minutes. Um, if you're here and you're like, well, you know, I actually, I, I have a hard time with carrying my Bible places. You know, I'm going to give you two apps that are really helpful. Smartphone. If you don't have a smartphone, don't worry about app. It's an app appetizer. That's... Um, and so the first, the first app is this. It's version. You should know it. If you don't know it, it's okay. It's not a big deal. Um, it's just a Bible. It's a Bible app, but it actually has thousands of Bible studies on it. And they have four of them that are based on Colossians. And so you can go ahead and go on that and follow through that and read it together. It's actually really helpful. I've been doing some of them, um, and they're great. Some are in-depth. You read through the whole book every day for a week. Some are just a part of a chapter every week, every day. And so it's awesome. Another one is called Dwell, and I've just, expo I've just come across it this week. Um, and it's just reading the scriptures to music, which is not really new. There's been CDs and cassettes of it for, for a couple years. But it is awesome, and it's a great way of doing it. If you have a commute every day, um, you, can, you can literally listen to the book every day, and you can go through it. If you go for a run, you can listen to it. And so those are just some helpful ways for you to be able to do that. And if you are really are a go-getter, I want you to know that um, you say, man, I, I read Colossians every day since we started this series, and it's been really great. I need, I need some other things. I want you to know that the twin, the twin epistle of this is actually um, Ephesians. So they say, some scholars call it the twin um, epistle, and so you can go ahead and read that through as well. And so Paul, what he does in, in Ephesus is that he's actually furthering along some of the thoughts he begins in Colossians. So that can be some helpful things um, that we're going to do. But let's go ahead and jump into it, and we'll just read the text today. Um, 
and go through that. So, so Andrew finished off um, on verse 2b. Um, so he, he started with, with telling us that um, it begins with, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ and from our brother Timothy. We are waiting, or we are writing to God's holy people in Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, why is it important that we know that Paul is writing, he is, he is writing to a church, he is a real person in prison. Why is it important that we know he's writing from prison? Here's why. Because we know that even in our worst situations, God still works. Even in our worst situations, Paul is in a Roman prison, which is not Club Med. It's not even our prisons. It's gross. It's dark. It's dungy. It's brutal. And what would I do in that situation? I would be angry. I've given you how much, God? You have, you have left me here for how long? I've served you. I've been whipped. I've been... And I would go through the list and be like, how is that guy out there? I'm doing more than him. I could do more than him out of this, out of this prison. But not Paul. Paul stops and he goes, what do you have for me? And what he does in those prison cells that he maybe wouldn't have done if he was traveling is sit down and write letters that we still have. So if you're in a situation where you feel like you're in the darkest place of your life, know that God has not forgotten you. He has purpose in that place. And then he, why is it important that we know that he wrote to a church in Colossae? Look, you can put up the map if you want and you can, you can see that it is not an important place. It's not on the waterway. It's actually, it's actually fallen out of the Roman really influence. Why is it important that we know that he writes a letter to these people? Because it's important if you feel insignificant, this is a reminder that God is a God of insignificant people as well as famous people. See, he writes to Rome, but he also writes to Colossae. So this is important. It's important to know if you're in a dark place, he is a God who wants to work in that place. If you feel insignificant, you need to know he knows your name today and he has a message for you today. So let's continue on to verse 2b. May God, our, you know what? How many people here are card people? Like you love cards, like people like birthday cards and all those kind of cards. How many people in the house are birthday card people? Like you look to the gift, but you also look to the card. Anyone? You raise your hand. This is actually a real question. Keep your hands up. Okay, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open up to you guys a little bit, so don't judge me, please. I am not a card. I don't understand the cards. Do we, who are not a card person? Like you just don't get it. Like, you just don't get it, right? Like, like, the gift is cool. Why am I going to spend 5 to $10? Some of them were $10. I looked at one, and it was really nice. It was $10 for a card. That mostly, we don't write significant things on them. We write, you are great. Happy birthday. It says happy birthday on it. You could do that on a piece of paper and not have to spend $10. Well, I married a card person. And so I've been learning the art of card. But do you know that, that the right card in the right moment from the right person can make a huge impact in your life? 
I remember Jess and I were dating. We were in Florida. Um, and I, I guess I still liked cards. No, but this, this showed the importance of it. She, she wrote me a card and left. I think she was going on a, a trip with a team and left me a card. And in the card, she, she wrote out the definition of good. So she said, you are a good man. And I'm like, okay, cool. And then she wrote out the definition of what good is. And I just, it, it, it broke my heart. It, it touched me deep. And I'm not a card person. <laughs> <laughs> and see, sometimes what we do is we, we read the words on an introduction in a book like this, like a birthday card. And they're not significant. And we're like, oh, this is just an obligation that someone has to do. Because who gives a gift without a card? Me, right, babe? Um, but, but like, the words matter. So why do the words matter? Because Paul is actually somewhat of an incredible writer. So he wouldn't just use words just because. And we believe that it's not just Paul writing, but it's the, actually the Spirit of God coming upon him, not like a robot taking over and he realizes that he's written out something, but actually it's the Spirit of God coming on him through his personality, him penning out a letter to Colossae that God wanted the world to know. So do you think God just does things out of obligation? Do you think he uses words out of obligation? And so when we're going through this, and we may be going through it slowly, it is not because we're just taking our time, but we realize that the word of God is living and breathing. It's active, and it should be active in our lives, and it should penetrate our heart and cut to the very core of who we are so that we can be transformed by it. Because the truth is this. This world does not need more pews and more chairs being filled in churches. What it needs is transformed believing Christians who Jesus has transformed and the word of God has transformed and we go out and make a difference in this world. Amen, anyone? And so we need the word to guide us. So let's go ahead and continue. My God, our Father, or may God, our Father, Give you grace and peace. You know what's interesting? Again, this is, this is strategic. He's laying a foundation here. He says, our Father. He's telling us something that, that this is not a transactional relationship anymore. He says, hey, church, stop thinking about the other gods that you served before. You acted this way, they gave you this. You do this, they bless you. You step out of line, they come down on you. Hey, Old Testament understanding, Jews, this is not how it works. You follow this, you get this. You step out of line, you get broken. No, 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 this is not a transactional relationship anymore. This is a relationship. It's relational, not transactional. He's laying that foundation. He's saying, as you read this, do not read it as you understand your other gods. Read it from a sense of father, son, father, daughter. And church, can I say this? We need to understand this truth. When we open the scriptures, when we're interacting with God, when we pray, we need to understand we are not praying in a transactional way anymore but in a relational. My daughters come to me and they ask for things that they should not ask for 
because I've told them a million times no. But I still listen to them and love them and walk them through why it's no. Can I say that some of us, even myself sometimes, we work and interact with God like it is transactional because we've been trained that way? We need that broken in the name of Jesus. We need to know that he's our father and he loves us. And when we step out of line, a good father corrects out of love. We continue. Give you grace and peace. This is Paul's blessing in almost every one of his letters. Every single one of his letters, he almost, he almost always uses grace and peace. A blessing of grace and peace. Grace, unmerited favor. He's saying, may God's unmerited favor land on you. Can I ask you a question? What would your life look like if you believed that God's unmerited favor was on you? How would you interact with people at work if you knew God's unmerited favor was on you? God, your father, his unmerited favor went before you and behind you. How would you talk to family members? How would you share your faith if you knew his unmerited favor went before you? And then his peace. This is correlated with the word um, from, from the Old Testament, the Hebrew word, which is shalom, which means peace. But for us, peace means no war. But it's much deeper than that. It's kind of like, it kind of means that all is good. Man, how many of you guys would like to believe that all is good? Even when things maybe aren't, the peace of God that is all good walks with you. I would like to know that. Can I be honest with you for a moment? I don't know how I'm a father of three. I mean, I know how, but <laughs> I'm saying I Sometimes I, I swear that I'm, I'm still 18 years old. And I'm not, I'm 35, just in case somebody once asked me that. But I get overwhelmed with my circumstances. At night I wake up and go, how am I going to take care of these kids? What if I do something, say something that I didn't mean to say, and then they're in a counseling seat 20 years later, like my dad neglected me in this way because he never gave me Cocoa Puffs. Like, like, but really, I wonder, like, can I actually provide for them? Can I actually, and, and I feel anxiety come up. I feel some fear come up. And I would desperately love to walk in the peace of God that transcends all understanding, the shalom, that all is well, because I know that his unmerited faith, it goes before me. It's on me. So I may not feel equipped to be the father that I've called to be, but, but he is more than enough, and he leads me. Does anybody want to walk in that blessing? You know what else is cool? Paul he writes a blessing in every one of his letters. And it's significant that he writes a blessing. And yes, it is part of how to write a letter in ancient Rome. It was kind of how, it's kind of 
expected of you. But he writes a specific one about God's favor, God's blessing, God's peace. I wonder for us, and I, and I feel like the Holy Spirit's been working on me in this. Why don't we bless people more as believers? If we believe that we actually carry the favor of God, his peace on our lives, the authority that comes through Jesus Christ and the cross, if we believe those things, then we should believe that we can bless others. And so for, for us, let's, let's become a church that begins to bless people and not just like the ordinary, like, you're good, I like you, thank you, but actually taking a moment and saying, a blessing over someone that speaks truth into their lives and taking it another step where you take the word of God and speak it into someone's life and believing that it's not uncomfortable or somewhat a little bit awkward because we're sharing the Bible with somebody, but actually believing that when you speak it, it's the word of truth and it's cutting through everything and speaking truth into their heart. So let's continue on. We, I promise you we're getting farther than just a half verse today. <laughs> we're going to go for a whole five, six verses today. Anybody amen? Come on. Verse three. We always pray for you and give thanks to God. Now thanks is a huge deal in this book. And it should be a huge deal for us as believers. Let's be thankful people. Thankful to God for what we have, how blessed we are. The Father and our, and our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus and, our love for all, and your love for all his people, which comes from your confident hope of what God has sorry, reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit. You may want to highlight that. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. Highlight that. Just as it changed your life. For the day you, from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's Wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. Man, there's a lot going on there. So, so Remember, Paul is writing this letter. He is a real person writing to a real church and there is a real issue that he's addressing. They're a young church and Epaphras, their, their founding pastor, he had actually gone to Ephesus and heard the message from Paul, most scholars believe, and he has been so transformed by it that he takes it back to his home and he begins to spread the gospel in his church and he builds a church. The problem is, is that false teachers come in and they begin to say that, oh, your pastor, Epaphras, see, he started some of the good work, but he has not given you the full gospel yet. 
And so what we need to do is we need to add on to that. So some are adding on the Jewish law and some are adding on other gods and some are adding on other things and more different things. And so what's happening is that his authority is being compromised. And so what Paul does in his greeting, in his blessing, in his thanksgiving, he actually gives a referral letter back to this church and says, hey, I know you've worried about this gospel that you've heard and wondering if it's really true. You need to know that this is the same gospel that has been all over the world. This is the gospel that has been changing lives. And it's the same one we all preach. This is a huge statement and a letter of reference that would have stopped right away the voice of anyone trying to attack Epaphras. And it would have said, he actually is teaching the gospel. Have you ever asked the question, what is the gospel? Yeah, I know we're in church, right? So that's an assumption. We all know it. But have you ever, have you ever like simplified what is the gospel? And so I'm going to read it right here. Sorry about this. It says this, the gospel is the news that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our forgiveness and rose again, eternally triumphant over all his enemies, so that there is now no condemnation for those who believe, but only everlasting joy. That's from John Piper. That's the gospel. This is what he's saying. He said, this is the gospel you've received and it is what it needs to be. And have you ever wondered, so what is the purpose of the gospel? Paul explains it to us in this passage. It says it bears fruit. So what fruit? What fruit does it bear? It bears transformed lives. Can I say this? If our life is not transformed by the gospel, by Jesus Christ dying on the cross, saving our life, if that does not transform our actions and our lives and our in inward being, if it does not change us, do we have the gospel? Paul would say, no. It changes lives. He said, it changes lives. And this is a really hard thing to say, right? Because we begin to move into two camps at that moment. One camp is about, is about rules. We're like, yes, you do need to be changed. So here's a list of what you're allowed to watch. Here's a list of how you're allowed to talk. Here's a list of the music that you can listen to. And we start going down the religious road of here's all the rules you need to follow. But then someone else backs off and says, whoa, 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 it's not about rules. It's all about grace. So a transformed life, you know, it just kind of looks like well, however it's meant to look like. We just allow grace to let that happen. No, no, no. Paul actually gives us a, little, a, a format of what a transformed life looks like. And there's three things. So if you're writing notes, write down three things that a changed life by the gospel is. The first thing is this. He says this in verse four. He says, for we have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ. Now we live in a, in a culture that really promotes faith, but not just faith, it promotes sincerity of faith. So it's not so much about what you believe in, but, but that you believe in it very wholeheartedly. And if you believe in it wholeheartedly, then who are we to say that anything's wrong? Because they're just so wholeheartedly believing it. But can I tell you a story? Have you ever believed in something that shouldn't have been believed in? I was at a, a, a camp with kids and I believed in myself. 
I believed that I could do something that I definitely could not do. And I sat on top of an eight foot beach ball trying to help deflate it. And teenagers came over. Teenagers, right? Not a good idea. They come over and say, hey, we'll run into it and pop you in the air. That would be amazing. I say, listen, I'm 31 years old. This is not a good idea. This is not going to end well. Maybe if I was 18, we could work this out, but this wouldn't work out well for me. And so he, he goes, and, the, and then I sit there for five minutes, deflating the ball. So now it's deflated five minutes more. So I'm deeper into the ball. And another guy has come up. He's about 24 years old, and he's athletic. And I'm like, let's do it. So now I have four people running at the ball, and it's less air in it, which, if you know science, is not a good equation. I believed in myself that I could do this and land on. I'm like, this shouldn't be that difficult. They pop me in the air, no lie, and I fly. And for a split second, I was going to say 30 seconds. I wasn't that in the air that long. For a split second, I was like, this is the coolest thing in the world. And then fear of gravity came in. And I slammed on the ground, put my hand down, smacked my head off the ground. Luckily, no teenager, no youth were watching me. Luckily, and I've jumped up because I was my guy, so obviously nothing hurt. Um, <laughs> and I smacked my head so hard and my wrist, and I, real, and I found out a day later, even after I put on essential oils, um, <laughs> that I had broken my wrist, legitimately. I had to go to the hospital, I broke my wrist. We had just, we were taking possession of the house two days later of my first house that we had to demo and I was having a baby in two weeks. My wife was not impressed, but I had faith, sincere faith in myself, but that was not enough to fight gravity or stupidity. But the truth is this, is that in today's culture, we say, hey, if you have deep, sincere faith, you can, you, it's okay, you'll be all right. All ways lead to the same. That's not what the Bible teaches. We can be sincerely wrong. And so what Paul says is this, is it's faith in Jesus. Galatians 3.9 says this, So all who put their faith in Christ share the blessing Abraham received because of his faith. Jesus said this, this of himself when speaking to Nicodemus in verse 18, chapter 3 in John. He says this, Whoever believes in him, speaking of himself, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. A changed life begins with faith in Jesus Christ. And for us in North American church, that means we ticked off the box once in church and raised our hand and we're, we have faith in Christ. That is a significant moment in our life, but faith in Christ doesn't stop. Faith in Christ, I need faith in Christ when I have three children and I realize that I'm, I'm alone and I, and I feel like I cannot do this. I need faith that Christ is with me and that he is my sustainer. When we're going through business issues, when we're going through debt, when we're going through brokenness, trials and tribulations, all different things come our way. We need faith in Jesus Christ as our foundation that we move before and then we are secure knowing that our faith is in Jesus. Not that we just raised our hand once, but that we are walking in the faith of Jesus Christ. That is what we need. That's the foundation. The second thing 
He goes from faith and he moves into love. And let me tell you something. Faith in Jesus Christ compels us to love. Because you cannot be overwhelmingly loved and not love others. See, Jesus, when he died on the cross, when we were still sinners, as Roman tells us, it was his sign of love for us that transforms us. When we understand his love, it compels us to love. But the interesting thing that Paul says here in verse 4 again is this. He says, and your love for all God's people, other translations for, say, the brothers or the brothers and sisters. He's talking about the church. So is Paul negating what Jesus said, like love your enemies or love your neighbors? Like why would Paul highlight that love for the church is where we see a transformed life? And I have two reasons. First is this. One of the devil's greatest schemes is division in a church. I mean, you just have to look through church history to see it. If he can divide a church, he brings hurt and he absolutely minimizes the impact of the kingdom of God. Is it not kind of like this? Like we, we try to, to go out into culture and say, hey, you know, don't you want to be on our team? And they look at us and we're shooting at each other in the church. And they're like, no, we're good. We're good because we can't understand how to love each other. And so... I think that the devil's scheme is to divide the church. And so I think that Paul is saying this so that we would understand what it means to truly love each other. And if we can love each other in the church, then it will flow out of us. How many of us know the verse that they will know us by our love and we use that to actually explain how the world, we will love the world and they'll know us by our love. But that's not the verse. Look at it. Um, John 13, 35 says this. Do you have it up there? It says this. Your love for one another. Who's he talking to? He's speaking to the disciples. Will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for one another. Church. He's not saying what Jesus said about loving your enemies. Forget that. That was for his day, not for this day. We don't like Romans. No, he's not saying that. He's actually saying we should begin in-house. I love it. We have, we have uh, significant family friends in our lives, and they say this. If you can't love at home, then you can't love out of your home. So actually, they had two daughters, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't actually let their daughters go out with their friends if they had been mean to their kids during the week. It's a pretty good idea, right, parents? Like, if you're mean to your siblings during the week, you can't go out with your friends because if you can't love in-house, you can't love out of the house. I see you parents nudging, teenager. I see you. So Paul talks about faith, love, and then he finishes with hope. And I thought hope, like hope is, hope is like pretty simple. We all kind of get hope, right? Like, finally, Toronto has hope that we're going to win a Stanley Cup. Thank you, Tavares. Right? Like, finally, the Raptors have hope that we have a good player. No Raptors fans. That's okay. <laughs> Look it up. It's a big deal. <laughs> but we're looking, we're looking at hope. And, and what I love is the NIV version of this. The NIV version says this. The New International Version. It says, I give thanks for your faith 
and love that spring out of your hope. So love and your faith are springing from the hope they have in Jesus stored up in heaven. What is he saying in that? Here's what he's saying. He's saying that the hope we have is rooted in who Jesus Christ is and what that means for us in the future. See, we need to, we need to walk in the reality because some, sometimes in Christianity, what we do is we write out truths and we leave them in a book and we live our life separated from the truth that we, we should live. What we need is to take that truth and, and put it into our lives and ask ourselves, how do we take the truth of Jesus Christ and live it out? How do we allow the hope, what Jesus did for us, who set us free from sin? Do you know that the word of God tells us that we are no longer slaves to sin, but free from it? If you are here and bound by sin, you're, you're looking at pornography, you're caught up in a lustful relationship, you lie all the time, or you have something that you just cannot break in your life, you need to hear this, that you are not a slave because of Christ Jesus. He has set you free. He has canceled your debt. And not only did he cancel your debt and let you just go free. No, no, no. He has bought you and brought you into the family of God. Remember, he said, our father. God is our father. He's reconciled us with God. This means we have communion with God. We can go, as Hebrew says, boldly before the throne. This is the hope we have found in Jesus. And not only the hope that's found in Jesus, Paul is very clear that it is the hope that we hope for in the future in heaven. And that's one that's weird for us, right? I was trying to wrestle with it. I read a scholar and he said, this is one that in the North American culture we have a very hard time with. I was like, no, I get hope. I have hope in God. Yeah, hope in heaven. And then I started unpacking it. And I realized that I like my comfort here. And sometimes I wonder if heaven could be better than here. If I'm honest. And I wonder and say, you know, is it really better? But I love one pastor who says this. He said that heaven, for Christians, earth is the worst it's ever going to get. See, for, for Christians, we need to know that this is the closest we'll get to being as far away from God as possible. But when we go to heaven, we will be in perfect relationship with everyone else. But more importantly, we will be perfect relationship with our creator, how we were created to be. We will be in perfect peace. And then he says this, which is a sombering truth. He says that for unbelievers, earth is as good as it's ever going to get because they will be separated from God forever. See, if we want to have transformed lives, it's not about the do's and the don'ts. It's not about the external things that we do. Does that matter? Yeah, sure. Paul even gives us a list in Colossians of things that we should and shouldn't do, sins that should be out of our lives. But that is not the core of transformed lives. Transformed lives come from faith in Jesus Christ. 
They come from love of other brothers. It's evident by your love for each other. And it comes out of our hope that Jesus Christ is who he said he was, did what he promised he would do. And all that we have today is just a glimpse. We see in part, Corinthians says, but soon we will have the full. Let's go ahead and just bow our heads. With nobody looking around, I'm just, we've covered a lot of ground and I feel like um, the Holy Spirit's moved in a lot of places. And I just feel like if you're in this place and you need peace, the shalom of God, not the no war, but the full peace of God that transcends all understanding. Maybe you're walking through trials or maybe you've just walked with anxiety your entire life. I'm just going to ask you, with nobody looking around, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet as a sign of faith. I would say this, fear is a liar. Fear holds us back from the truth of God. So if you're here and you feel the spirit of God moving on your heart, I implore you to stand to your, to your feet in a sign of faith, not because standing is any more holy than sitting, but it's a sign of faith, acknowledging, saying, God, I need you. And if you're here and your faith has been wavering, I'm going to ask you to stand as well. And you just need to say, Jesus, my faith is wavering, but I need you to just be my anchor again. And if you're here and your love has run dry, I mean, you are not, you, maybe even in this place, you just don't like someone. I'm going to ask you to stand and expose the lie of the devil that he is trying to divide. He wants to divide the church and not just the church of Mountain Park, but his bride, the global church. And if you're in this place and you want healing and love to flow from you, stand to your feet. And if you're here and you're saying, I just don't have that hope. Maybe you're just, you're holding on to something here on earth or you're so focused on something else that you are just having a hard time holding on to the hope of Jesus Christ or looking forward and saying, my hope is in heaven and allowing that to spring forth your faith. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet as well. If you need hope to arise in your life. And so Jesus, you are so good. We acknowledge your cross. We acknowledge the work you did on it. 
And there are so many things going on in the people in this room. And what is clear is that we are in need of you. I wonder if you feel comfortable just to raise both hands in a sign of surrender. And we just say, Jesus, we need you. We need you. This lost and dying world, they need transformed lives. And we are reminded that it is not by ourselves that we do this. But Holy Spirit, we are dependent on you. Right now, just open yourself up to the Holy Spirit. Open yourself up to allow him into the situation that you have, you have spoken to of its peace. Open yourself to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place, knowing that the work isn't by ourselves, it isn't by how we do it, but Holy Spirit, it is simply by your work in our lives. So what we do now is we stand in a sign of surrender. We stand in a position of surrender before you, Holy Spirit. Have your way in us. And not just on this day, but God, as we leave this place on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, in the moment of our weakness, Holy Spirit, thank you that you have not left us, but you are with us. And we know that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church at and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.